Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are on our Friday edition, and that means Fridays with John Colosimo here in just a minute. Before we get there, a reminder of what you've seen recently from your podcast episodes. Tuesday, you got your defensive breakdown, the comprehensive breakdown. Check that out. That has a uh, little twist from the end from our OBR Monday uh, Monday Rewind session. Shared that, that segment that I was involved in. You also get, uh, got your uh, offensive comprehensive breakdown uh, on Wednesday. So that gave you everything from the personnel groupings to the, the run-pass splits and motions and shifts and all of that stuff. Check that out. Jordan Zerm came on at the end of that episode to break down some of the offensive performances in three weeks. Not offensive performances, like someone's offending you, but the offense, probably a grammatical thing there I'm not getting right. The offense performances uh, for, for, through three weeks. So we, we talked about everything, every position, pretty much every player that has been playing and looked at a little bit of forecasting ahead. And then to just this yesterday's episode, if you're listening to this, I would imagine you're listening to this on Friday. I'm recording it on Thursday with John here. Uh, the Thursday episode is your Behind Enemy Lines with Nick Olson, and I think Nick gave us as good a detail about his team as anybody I have had on for a Behind, the, uh, Behind Enemy Lines segment. So check that out if you want to know all things Vikings. We're going to touch on that here a little bit today when we discuss how to beat the Vikings. I'm going to bring John on. And then we're going we're gonna to talk around the NFL a little bit, and then we're going to talk uh, a little bit of AFC North like we do, and then dive into the Vikings and maybe touch on a little Baker at the end. So, John, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's good, uh, good times. I'm ready to uh, – I've been looking forward to this week uh, since the schedule came out, so feeling good. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I want to get your opinion on a couple things, Browns, like uh, – We'll start with one general question, then we'll talk about the other one later when we talk about how to beat the Vikings. But, you know, Stefanski can downplay it all he wants, but he wants to beat these guys, right? Like, he, he has a desire to show them that they – because the nugget that got dropped on both – I mean, it started on the rebuild pod uh, about Stefanski was going to be the dude if, if they had lost that Saints game in the playoffs in 2019 – like, I think there's probably a little part of him that cares. Or do you think he's just like a robotic creature who really doesn't care and is just like a whatever kind of scenario? What do you think? Do you think he actually does care about going back and beating these guys? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kevin is uh, very stoic, and that's one of his best qualities. But uh, in terms of this, where I see it is the competition with him and Clint Kubiak, you know, who came, they came up together. They're running their own versions of of the system that Kevin helped put together by bringing in uh, Clint and his dad. So I think that there's, there has to be the you know competitive nature of not wanting to get outshined by um, Clint Kubiak. That's that there's no way that that misses him. I don't think so either. I think he can downplay it all he wants. And I'm sure he's ridiculously appreciative, right. Of, of what Minnesota did for him, but he wants to, don't get it twisted. He won't admit it outwardly, but he wants to go back and beat these guys. And it really is like the Spider-Man gift. Like these two teams are so similar. It's like, <laughs> they're so similar. And, and, and with talking with Nick, I, I couldn't, we couldn't help but hit on that several times. Just like the mirror of, of, uh, 
of situations and how the Vikings are investing in their offensive line so heavily. Uh, it's just similar. It's just similar. I think that the Browns might be catching them at the right time in a lot of things, but they might be catching them in the wrong time in a lot of things too. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Before we go, before we go on to that, I want to do our little bit of a topic around the NFL, and that's the rookie quarterbacks, John. They all seem to be struggling. I mean, we saw Justin Fields up close and personal, and you can blame as many things as you want to blame on Matt Nagy, and I don't think you're wrong, but he was rough. He was not getting the football out on time early in the game and certainly was unwilling to pull the trigger on close coverage. Now, you don't get a ton of close coverage at Ohio State. That's the difference, right? You got Alave, you got Fields running down the field against Maryland corners. You're typically going to have pretty decisive throws. The NFL, those windows start to shrink, and you have to trust yourself to put the foot, you know, the football in a keel. And I think a lot of that's going on with with uh, Zach Wilson, similar struggles. And then Mac, Mac, I think everyone thought, at least I don't know, pods I listened to, Mac, Mac Wilson was going to be the next coming of like, like uh, I don't know who is Russell Wilson. Like yeah. it's is ridiculous, man. So the group collectively is not playing very well. And I think if if it were my opinion, it would it would a lot of people are trying to normalize it, which to an extent I agree with normalizing it because we've been spoiled by Baker and Herbert and some of these guys, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I think Kyler came in had a pretty good year. Uh, historically, great. though, it's um, you know it's not been quarterbacks just hitting the ground running. I mean, and that only gets worse as you go back in time. It's easier than it's ever been uh, mm-hmm. for a quarterback to come in and do well if they have the right, you know, things around them. You know, obviously the guys that are picking up quarterbacks, you can be very wildly in the kind of uh, personnel that they have and, and where the talent lies on the team, if there's any, you know, when you're talking about somebody picking first in the draft. But, I mean, just looking at these guys, you got – you know, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, bottom of the league. Um, Zach Wilson is only two places up higher than him, you know, talking about PFF passing grades. Uh, Mac Jones has been the best of the bunch so far, and he hasn't been exciting. Um, he's, you know, he's been okay. Uh, God, I called him Mac Wilson a minute ago. Good Lord, folks, yeah, forgive me. Yeah, I, that is That's bad. No, it's all. <laughs> losing my brain, John. But, you know, I mean, Zach, Zach is an horrendous situation over with the Jets and that was pretty well known I think what they were dealing with uh on that side you know Trevor Lawrence not in much better situation um than than Zach I think you know Mac Jones went into the best situation and I think he's performing um it, you know okay level for a rookie but it's there's nothing exciting here in this group yet so uh yeah I think you do take it for granted and I think people should Always keep that in mind when you're talking about it. I think you um, put it well yesterday where it was, um, you know, dipping into that pool of mystery or whatever, you know, trying to pull a, a rookie quarterback out when you move on from somebody who's, uh, you know, at least solid, if not really good in terms of that Kirk Cousins decision. I mean, if that's what you're looking at with, with some of these guys, uh, I mean, sure, they might be, be looking better in Minnesota than they are with their current teams, but, you know, the the stats don't lie in this regard. You to have like say three really good quarterbacks come out of a class ultimately over time is a really rare thing. It really is. Like so that 2018 class where you've got Lamar, Allen, and Baker, and we're only, you know, we're only so many years in. So we don't even actually know what this looks like ten years in. But, you know, to have three of that level come out of a single draft, you can go back a long time and you just don't find that, you know, just the stats say that, 
maybe one, two, uh, sometimes zero are going to come out of typical classes as you go year to year. So, yeah, I think it just gives you great perspective. This class above anything else reminds you how special Baker was to deal with what he dealt with right off the bat and put together a good first season, take, take the second season out of it, but that good first season. And it just reminds you of some of these guys the, the the answer is not just sitting in a rookie class every year and it's not robotic and it's not it's not a formula like you, you it's like the college coach thing john right where it's like well we we think we can do better than phil fulmer we think we can do better or, or you could do worse we think we could do better than mac brown well you could do worse so it's like it's not always <laughs> greener on the other side of things man and i think that's something that people have to remember with quarterbacks you can't just replace a pretty good quarterback with someone in the draft and think it's just going to be hand in glove. It doesn't, doesn't work that way, man does not work that way. And it was a good, it was a good sort of a reminder having Justin Fields as the guy in Cleveland and seeing, seeing what chaos he was dealing with. And he really wasn't responding to it all too well. It doesn't define the kid. He can, he could figure it out. I think he's a, he's a sharp young man. I think he'll figure it out. But for now, it's like this, this, the first three weeks and really having Justin Fields front and center was a nice reminder. Um, going around the AFC North, the Pittsburgh Cincinnati game. I don't know if you've gone back and rewatched it, but uh, I have not. I've seen some funny clips. There was the old like uh, Western timey Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> thing that was out there. Yeah. I think Stephen Ruiz put that out, which is pretty funny. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, do things get better for Pittsburgh? And, and we 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 do this. It seems like every Friday, John, where we're kind of saying the same things. I don't want to say the same things. I, I guess like. My two questions about that game are: Is is Pittsburgh really like at the end of the line here in terms? Like, I okay, how does Pittsburgh get better? Like, what do they do to get better? I know they're missing a core part of their defense, but like, I just don't know what Pittsburgh does to change their identity. And then Cincinnati, it's like I think we'll figure a little bit more out tonight because they're missing Jesse Bates and T Higgins. Like, I know Jaguars aren't very good, but it's a short week. We'll see. I, I don't know if Cincinnati's for real. I have a hard time gauging Cincinnati, whose defense is playing really well, and Pittsburgh, who might just be. I guess they might be. They might be washed, man. There's real. There's real quarterback buzz, like in Pittsburgh. Like we've got to start Haskins, and they're all these. I think Aaron Rodgers was on the uh, Pat McAfee show, and it said something about loving people from Pittsburgh. So there, it's just like seeing their quarterback Twitter go crazy this week about just wanting to move on from Ben has kind of been. It's kind of been nice. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, and I mean, the, the, the issues are real. And I mean, every week you just get an extra data set to work with. I mean, what we, what do we know about the Steelers? That, that offensive line is on the low end of the outcomes that you could have expected. I mean, they're bad. Um, Najee Harris uh, is, you know, getting, you know, getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. You know, he's, um, he's not going to be able to save that offensive line. And then, like we said, I mean, he's, he hasn't improved. I mean, he's just been bad every week, and there's no reason to expect that to get any better. Uh, I, in terms of how they get better, I, I, that offensive line, they could get better over time, but that's not going to matter much if Ben still looks like this. And, you know, so they get they can get that defense back, but I, I think this is finally, you know, the year where they don't figure everything out miraculously and you know they're probably looking at you know a four or five win season you know just based on defensive strength alone I, I just don't see it happening we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, what's weird is if you look at ben, Ben's stats like last year, they actually looked pretty good in terms of like surface level statistics. Didn't he throw for, mm-hmm. I think he threw for 33 touchdowns and maybe only seven interceptions last year, 10 interceptions, but it's oh, like a ton of yards too. Yeah. A ton of yards. Uh, let me see here. It looks like 3,803. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, it's like with Ben you're so limited that I think I felt like teams figured him out, right? Like I felt like teams figured him out like week 10 last year and it's carried over into this year where their offense is just so teams, I think figured out like, why, why are we, they're in the gun. They're, they're not going to threaten run game. Like, what are we doing? Why are we not defending this the right way? And since they figured it out now, it's like to the point where Ben is the punchline of all these jokes to the, to the extreme, right? I thought, I thought, Drew Brees had some moments, and I didn't see him getting picked on much at all. Now it's it's like the perfect case, as my computer makes a noise there. It's like the perfect case of you you stuck around too long. You know, people forget how good Ben Roethlisberger was in his prime. Like, that dude, you couldn't bring him down. Like, he was the paramount uh, example of annoying extension of plays without running, right? Like, um, yeah. <laughs> he has just stuck around too long, and he's getting offensive, and things are getting hostile over there. And I, I don't mean to make this a segment. Every, maybe it is a fun segment every Friday, like the demise of <laughs> Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't know. But it's it's definitely – it would be a bit jarring to me, John, if it changed because they are who they are and they are who we thought they are. They, they, like, again, going back to the beginning, they got all these motions and Matt Canada and you know, play action. Well, who Who's playing quarterback? Whose knees – the the knees of that quarterback are not going to be able to drop back and then boot off of things. Or he doesn't want to do that. He wants to sit in the gun, park himself in the gun and hand the football off or make quick throws. That's the extent of who Ben is right now or shot, put the ball at the sideline. They don't have a bunch of separators at wide receiver. They have Deontay who separates a little bit, but you know, between Washington Claypool and, and Juju, they're not huge separators. They're contested catch guys, but not huge separators. So, I don't know. I don't know how it gets better for them. They'll get their guys back up front, but they're not going to get that much better offensively. So, Mister, I mean, I, I, where are you on the Bengals? I think tonight will give me a chance to actually watch the Bengals, so I'll feel a little better about where they're at. I know Jacksonville is not the greatest barometer game, but I'll at least have a better feel for where Cincinnati is. It seems like they they took advantage of a couple Minnesota mistakes week one. Uh, that loss to Chicago, where they were being dominated by Chicago, so that gives me pause because... You know, Chicago, I don't, they're good defense, but I, their offense is an absolute disaster. And then, and then, you know, Pittsburgh is what we just talked about. So I, I don't think Cincinnati's played a real, real test yet, but uh, they're at least on the right path, right? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there there's a lot of fun things going on uh, with Cincinnati, and that defense is playing better than expected. Um, you know, but I think the offensive line still is not good. And, you know, they I – th- I think I weigh that, that loss to the Bears pretty heavily right now. I mean, they come out and they, you know, down a few players and they beat the Jags by double digits, then I'll start to believe that these guys are a little better than – than what I thought. But right now, you know, they seem exactly like what I thought, which, you know, I thought they would have, um, I keep saying this, but I, you know, I think they're going to have kind of like that Baker rookie season type fun where they're, I don't think they're going to have a winning record, but they're going to have a lot of fun during the season, score mm-hmm. some points, um, ultimately, you know, be something like seven and 10 or, you know, eight and nine, something like Something like that. So, but I mean, you're right. This this Jaguars game should should say a lot as to where they are, and then you know after that they got the Packers, and you can really find out, you know. So, but you know, I mean, if they go take care of business against the Jags, that's not something you know to to thumb your nose at. So yeah. short, uh, I'll be interested weeks, to watch man. it. Yeah, short yep. weeks. Win, short week wins are never something to, to even if it's against a first year NFL head coach and all that and all the data. I get it, but like you got to win those games, man. And it's a home game, and you can't lay an egg. So talking about laying an egg, you got to talk about Baltimore too. It just seems like they're going to be in every game. Like they're never going yes. to get worked because yep. that run game is so dangerous and so tough to prepare for. They'll be in every game. But I thought this was the perfect trap game for them to lose coming off the emotional high in KC. And it was right there. I sat down after the game. I was I was getting ready to go on our Twitch post game. And I'm like, he did he just complete that? And then I didn't even notice the play clock ran out. And then I'm like, okay, Tuck, Tucker, you're great, man. I get it. But 66 is stupid. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. It went from a, a perfect football weekend to a, come on, man. Like, it was still a really good football weekend. But, like, really, they won that game. And I just, uh, I don't know that I've ever been more amazed by a kick to end a game since maybe the Michigan-Michigan State drop punt uh, walk-off that we saw there. I was just like, my mouth was hanging open. Like, I could not believe that kick went through. Not only just kicking it and getting it there, but the the, the physics. I'm not great at physics, John. I'm an English guy. The, to, to kick that ball and have it land perfectly on that crossbar that we have seen the, the reject so many Browns kicks over the, the course <laughs> of the franchise, to then go over after hitting that. And maybe it hit the the uh, stanchion, but I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't really seen a close-up of what it hit, but it seemed like it hit the crossbar and bounced over. So just wild, and I didn't even notice, and I'm sure maybe you saw it after I said something to, the, to one of the guys who cover Baltimore, is how Tucker... He he did his normal three and two steps to get ready, and then took an extra step and a half back, and like crow hopped and 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 jumped into the kick. And Detroit just didn't even rush it; they just were like, "Okay, we're not going to touch him. We're just going to stay back and let him kick." There's no way he's making this, and he makes it. And it was like, "You got to freaking be kidding me, man!" I just like all of the things that that was such a Browns like loss. I just it was such a Browns like <laughs> loss, and I just empathize. It was. I empathize, I empathize yeah. so. Yeah, I think uh, the Ravens are tough. You know, they, by all accounts, they should be 0-3. Uh, I mean, they should not have won that Lions game, and they should not have won that Chiefs game. You can make an argument um, on the Raiders game, but they were getting roasted on the offensive line um, with pressures and stuff like that. So, you know, then so many crazy things happen at the end of that game. But they could easily be an 0-3 team, and I don't know – whether this is just going to be a team that plays down or up to the competition they face all year. 
um, and it ends up being a coin flip and they're either going to be real lucky or they're, you know, or they're not going to be lucky and, and come out uh, with a loss. So uh, it should be pretty interesting to see this game against the Broncos because we want to know how good the Broncos are. We want to know uh, how good the Ravens are. So it's a, it's a really, that's a game that I want to watch every play of um, whether it's, you know, on Sunday or, or afterwards, because these, you know, we've got these guys coming up on the schedule, but they just, they're a hard team to understand. And I, I could definitely see them just playing down or up to the competition all year. For sure. For sure. It's, they're just, they're so weird. They're so weird on both sides of the football, man. You never know what those guys. So you made a good point there. They play, they play Denver, Pittsburgh plays at green Bay this Sunday. Um, Hard to see them coming out of that game with a win. And then uh, the Cincy Jags game. So that's where you're at in the AFC North. Now we switch over to how the Browns beat the Vikings. we got to go through some of the data. I think that's important here, John. Um, looking at looking at how they play, they, they've been the same team they're always, they've always been defensively, right? They'll match. They'll, they'll play. Sometimes they'll keep a third back on the field because Anthony Barr can be a hybrid player. If you want some of the granular information about their personnel, go back and listen to the pod with Nick Olson. But uh, what I'm particularly interested in is their offense, right? Because it, it sometimes can mirror what Cleveland does and how Cleveland matches up with that offense is interesting. So let's go through some of the data, okay? They've played 226 snaps offensively, and this is a different team. Now remember, last year was Gary Kubiak running the show, and this year is Clint, right? I think they just hired Clint this year. Right. So they ran 27% of plays were in 11 personnel last year. That's one tight end, one running back three. You know, your your uh, your typical most popular modern NFL look, you get three wide receivers. So that was the lowest in the league by far. The Browns and Titans tied for the next lowest, and that was at 40%. So, you know, they were pretty personnel predictable last year. They ran a lot of 21 personnel because they love their fullback, C.J. Ham. This year it's different. They've had this. I think it's KJ Osborne, right? Is the uh, is the player that they've had step up as their third receiver. They also like DD Westbrook, so they have had an influx of uh, personnel changes. Okay, so they have gone uh, according to my metrics here. They've gone 111 of 226 plays in 11 personnel. So that's now gone from 27% to right around 50% in 11 personnel this year. 76 uh, passes out of 11 personnel, 25 runs. So they're heavy lean uh, to the to the pass when in 11 personnel, which is everybody, right? You use 11 personnel often when you sure. want to when you want to get in when you find yourself in pass situations. 88 of those 11 personnel plays have been against five defensive back looks. Only six of those teams have stayed in base and played three linebackers. Okay. And they've every time someone's been in base against it, John, they have thrown the football. Right? You want to sit in base, we're going to throw yeah, it. Sure, so, absolutely. Uh, as as would be obvious. So their other favorite personnel groupings: twelve personnel is thirty-one snaps. Twelve and twenty-one are their next two. They don't have three tight ends. I think I think some of this with Minnesota evolved after Irv Smith, who's a fantastic young tight end, went down for the year. So they evolved Agreed. a little bit. So they went twelve personnel so far this year on thirty-one snaps. Okay, now they've thrown three touchdowns and nearly a fourth touchdown. So they've been very successful in 12 pass plays. Reminder, 12 pass plays is all they've run out of those 31. Almost four touchdowns out of that. Because one time Justin Jefferson caught a dig, turned it into a 39-yard gain, and got caught at the one-yard line. Like, like tried to stretch out, didn't make it in against Cincinnati. 
So that's almost four touchdowns from that personnel grouping. 21, they put C.J. Ham on the field and have one tight end. 31 as well, 13 pass. So, again, if it's 21 or 12 personnel, you're looking at, what, you know, like a little bit more than 60% run each time in those groupings. So that's a, that's a pretty big tell. As is, you know, those those aren't those aren't weird. Those aren't outliers. Like those, those are run heavy formations, uh, 22 personnel. So this is like their 13 personnel for Cleveland. They've run that 14 times, all runs. If they're in two tight ends, two backs, they're going to run. Now they could break that tendency this week, but that's, that's what they've done so far. 13 personnel. They don't really have a third tight end. They like, so they've only run that two times. That's not a thing they do. Cleveland far underway leading the NFL in 13 personnel. Shocker. Um, Seven plays from 10. This is where they're different. This is the big difference this year. In 2020, they only ran six plays, John, with four wide receivers on the field for the entire season. Six plays. This year alone, they've run seven plays from 10 personnel. That's one running back, four four wide receivers, and 10 plays from one personnel. That's zero tight ends, or sorry, zero running backs, one tight end, four wide receivers. So they've already up to 17 of those plays this year. And even weirder is that 20 personnel, which is two running backs, a running back and a fullback, so two backs and three wide receivers, they ran 18 of those plays in week one uh, against the Bengals. They have not gone back to it, so maybe that was just a one-week thing. But the difference here is that they're spreading it out more. And there's a willingness to throw on early downs that they have never quite had. They're trusting Kirk Cousins like crazy. Now, again, if you listen to yesterday with – with uh, with with Nick, he he's talking about how they're two running backs and they really like you know the Matt the, the the way Nick talked about Dalvin and Madison was like so similar to Nick and Nick and Kareem. It was kind of ironic. It I was, was. like, and, and really that whole pod, John. I said, I'm sure you heard it, but like I said, if you take out those names you're saying and I plug in Browns names, it's all very similar. <laughs> it's really it's really all very similar. The Browns just don't have just Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen combination. They have a poor man's version of that, in my opinion. Um, uh, between Jarvis and Odell, I think Odell's as good as Justin, but I think that Thielen is is a difference maker. Like, and Jarvis is fine; he's okay, but he's not that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of this, these differences? They're 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 still predictable based on personnel, but they said, "Hey, man, we're going to give Kirk more opportunities." And he's balling; he's just under a thousand yards. He's at eight touchdowns. Nick talked about this as the best version of him, and he's streaky like Baker is. So. I mean, what do you take away from all of that personnel stuff and the shift they've gone to this year? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with Irv Smith going down. I, I don't think these numbers um, look exactly the same. I'm sure that there was going to be uh, some shift, it looks like to me, to 11 personnel. But I think that we'd be looking at different numbers if Irv was not hurt for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, you know, for the Browns, uh, you know, I'm I'm happier that, that that's what they're doing in terms of, you know, getting our best defensive personnel on the field. Uh, now I wish Newsom was, was playing. That would make me feel a lot better with the, the guys on the outside on this team. Um, and the, you know, third option, we're going to need, you know, we're going to need a third corner here uh, to, to play pretty well against this team. But um, you know, I'd rather do that than be facing massive amounts of 12 and 13 against this team with, uh, with a healthier Smith personally. Yeah, I think anytime you can get these guys in in three wide receiver scenarios, I think you're right, John. It brings out the Browns' best grouping to match, and uh, I just would prefer them to do a ton of that. It seems like they're trending toward that, but 
I also think the Browns have a pretty underrated run defense so far this year, and they're going to be challenged. It's been good. Yeah, they're going to be challenged in a, in a unique way. The same time, the same way that obviously the Vikings will be challenged by Cleveland's, and. To me, the keys to stopping Minnesota are are pretty universal for everybody. Uh, it seems like so. I don't want to sound too generic here, but you you really have to make Kirk double clutch the football. You have to give him looks that confuse him because while I think you could get away with some things in last week's game because Justin's young, if you allow Kirk to get in a rhythm and Clint to give him plays that put him in a rhythm and make them feel like they know what's coming. And, and if you watch the chalk talk last night I had with John Stephenson, he talked about how they're finally disguising some of their favorite coverages in the right way. Huge steps in the right direction, disguising things with cover six to, that, that looks like cover four, so on and so forth, which was encouraging to see. Um, they have to make him hold the rock an extra second uh, or half second, and they have to have his dominant a defensive line performance as they had last week because the way you get under Kirk Cousins skin is you make him feel uncomfortable and when he gets uncomfortable he does not have the play extension element we all know we all know has hurt the Browns uh, and and he will he will try to throw the football and make some difficult throws and that can lead to mistakes so you know obviously the same with anybody who plays the Browns you go into the Browns you say you got to stop the run well you really do you can't let that become a crazy element of what they are able to do offensively. And then you got to put pressure on Kirk and give him some some looks that disguise things. I like that the Browns are very anti-big play because I think that's what Minnesota thrives on. So that's kind of where I'm at. If the Browns aren't getting pressure to him and Kirk is not holding on to the football a bit longer because it's an easy, predictable throw for him, it could be a long day. No, I, I, I agree. And I think that bears out a bit in the numbers. I mean, you, you got um, Kirk right up there with the leader's in terms of time to throw, it's at 2.38 seconds. Uh, there's not a lot of sacks in Miles Garrett's career that are under 2.38 seconds, just, you know, for mm-hmm. uh, some context in that regard. The, you know, uh, and, we, and you do have to confuse him. The thing, too, is Kirk, as well as he's played, he has not had a, a, a lot of big-time throws. You know, and I think that this kind of speaks to him taking whatever you're going to give him. You know, uh, he hasn't made a lot of mistakes, but you're talking four big time throws in uh, 119 attempts. That's it's small. That's, uh, you know, so you you can't give him that first read either. You know, I, he, he doesn't hit a ton of big plays, but um, you can't give him the first read. You can't make it easy on him. Uh, and I think this is where we we match up pretty well. I mean, these are similar teams, but really where it separates is in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Um, we, you know, they're still not run blocking or pass blocking very well um, in Minnesota. So, you know, this is, and I've seen games where the Browns go in with a big advantage and we don't get to see that play out on the field. We did finally uh, in spectacular fashion last week, but these guys aren't, you know, they're not world beaters. They just don't perform well as a unit. So, we should be able to dominate both sides of this, you know, and they have to, they're better off on the, on the defensive front than they are on the offensive offensive line. So, you know, we'll have to, I think Jed's going to need some help. Like you've talked about with that ankle. Um, Otherwise uh, we could have some trouble there, but uh, I think the Browns really, this is where they have to win that game. And, And it does sound like cliche, but this is where the advantage lies for the Browns. It's in the trenches. So we, we have to make that show up on the field. Yeah. I think, I think what you – I was talking about this earlier, catching the the Vikings at the right time and the wrong time. 
So I think they're catching Kirk Cousins at the wrong time. He's feeling it, right? He's clearly yeah. playing his best football. <laughs> but I think you're catching their offensive line before they really hit their stride. I mentioned yesterday's pod about how much they've invested in this group, and I do think it's talented. I think Darisol coming back, they're going to get even better as he takes over for Rashad Hill, who's one of their real struggling pieces. And we all liked Wyatt Davis at Ohio State. I think he'll eventually find a role there. So they have invested a ton of capital in the offensive line, and Nick pointed that out too yesterday. I think it's a good time to catch their offensive line right now. Um, and I think that is a particularly uh, important plot, right? If the Browns cannot yep. find an advantage on the on the defensive line attacking whatever Minnesota does, and pairing that with coverage obviously is paramount, but that's a place they could find advantage. And two, on the defensive side, the Browns' strength is their offensive line. So they have to win the trench battle there, and they can take advantage of what I think is a shaky secondary. So I do think Cleveland has advantage spots, again, just on paper, those advantage spots pop out to me, but you have to be able to perform, right? Like you got to, you know, at the end of the day, you got to go out and make plays. And I think these two teams will be schemed up really well. I think that they know each other really well. And it's not like the Vikings defense and the Browns defense haven't played against these type of offenses because that's all they do right. in camp. So there's like an yeah. element of this doesn't look that different to me. This is, I would imagine that's what the coaches in, in all the position rooms are talking about. Like you've seen this, you know this. This is who they are, this is who we are. Kirk's a little different than Baker. Here's what he does different. Here's what, you know, Minnesota side, Baker's different than Kirk. Here's what he does. So, like, it's just going to be the ultimate uh, chess match. Who makes plays, right? It could come down to a couple plays like most NFL games do. But when your teams sort of mirror each other like these two teams do, I think it's just going to come down to who makes the better one-on-one -on -one plays. And that's that's what swings it. So Cleveland will need to win that turnover advantage. I, I definitely think that this one will be, will be hugely, hugely, uh, if you can... Uh, swinging on that turnover advantage, can you can you force Kirk into a uh, some sort of risky throw, or can you get a strip sack or something like that? And on the offensive side of the ball, is Baker continuing to take care of the rock, making good choices? I'd have nothing but the, the, the utmost faith in the backs to take care of the football. So it probably hinges on Baker a little bit. Can Baker outduel Kirk? Do you think he has that in him this week, based on how Kirk is playing? That's the question, John. Well, it's it, it's a tall order based on how, how Kirk is playing, you know, but you know, there are good signs when it comes to, uh, to Baker. I know that you, you've had him, you've had him under the microscope hard these last couple of weeks, which, you know, I, I really, I love your perspective because it's, it's perfectly reasonable the whole way through, you know, and this, um, the whole question, you know, uh, that we're all trying to answer why I write so many, uh, Baker articles, why I'm, always pouring over that is we're all trying to answer that same question of how how good baker can be um and he hasn't been quite there there this year yet but he hasn't been uh very bad you know i think yeah. that's just there's some there's some perspective there you know baker has had a, a real nice percentage of big time throws so far this year and i think mm -hmm. we're just waiting for that game where he i, I still think he was lights out in kansas city oh, he i know was. that that didn't Absolutely. get graded really well but you know in terms of if you look at the grading it looks like he's had three of the same games and that i don't think that that is not correct but he hasn't been great these last couple of weeks uh you know i'm not so worried about um last week he was a little amped up um i don't worry so much about when he misses a throw um because i know he's got that i'm, I'm much more concerned with um decision making you 100%. know is he yeah. finding the right guys uh so that's what i'd like to see and i, th I think 
this is a good week for him to, you know, to break through on that regard. You know, when you've got him under that microscope, you know, you, I don't know if your wife does this, but you ever see um, a woman like pour over that tiny little mirror with the bright ass lights for like an hour <laughs> yeah. picking at their face? The mag- it's like got the magnifying thing going on to it yes. too. Yeah, I got you. Right. And so like, that's what it can be like when you're looking at this film and looking at all the different decisions that a quarterback can make. And then if you go on, uh, on Twitter afterwards, basically what it's like is you just spend an hour looking at this mirror, picking at everything that, that you can find on your face. And then you pop up at Instagram and you're looking at other people, yep. um, you know, in the, in, that's the way it can seem. So, you know, I'm waiting for it to all click. I know those coaches are coaching the hell out of them. So I think the opportunity is there. Like you mentioned that, you know, the, the secondary is ripe uh, for the picking. And we know the plays have been there to make for Baker to have had better games. So I, I'm just waiting for that to all click and for him to, and I think this is a really good opportunity. I think Kevin's going to put him in better spots. You know, one thing we're not wrong in that, um, you know, he has been sacked a lot this year and those haven't been charged to him, you know, so these uh, they've got to protect a little bit better. Um, you know, his, his, uh, his grades under pressure haven't been great, but there's also just been uh, ones where he's had no chance. So uh, I'm hoping that they give a little help over on the on the left side. And I, I do think that this is a, a ripe game for Baker to kind of break through for 2021 and have a uh, a great game. I do, too. He's on the cusp. Like, I, I'm, you know, I do I do pick him apart. I pick him apart like few people do because I think. You know, it's kind of my job, right? To to, to show right. as no, much, you have to. You yeah, to show as much to you guys as I can about what he's doing right and wrong. I mean, listen, I I said it the other day. Like, I get no more joy out of anything Browns related than breaking down or posting a great throw from Baker. Like that that stuff is like super endorphin. Really, I I love that man. So uh, I don't I don't like picking him apart when he makes the incorrect choice or misses a throw. Like I don't love that. That's not fun to me. So. I want to do all but the fun stuff. But you want to know, right? Sure, 100%. Yeah, you, you want to know how that decision-making is, and there's no better place to kind of grade that um, than your breakdowns where you're seeing the different options that he had available. You don't want to, like, you don't want to bury that stuff. Uh, you know, it's just, it's hard to, you know, step back and get perspective sometimes, and I'm really hoping that, you know, this ends up being, uh, you know, a mediocre start to a uh, – a really good year. I mean, there's a ton of games, 14 games left. So Yeah, and if these are your mediocre games, he's playing fine, right? He's he's playing fine. Right. You can win these games, obviously. But <laughs> your next four games, when you look at Minnesota, then you go to L.A., then you bring in the tra- the Cardinals and the Broncos, you got to play well. He's got to play well to it's win gotta, these games. So absolutely. he's got to be the reason. He can't manage it. He's got to be a part of the reason. So um, that's Agreed. what... That's what he needs to do, and I still think it's in him. I'm not trying to give you guys like an, a super negative Baker vibe to start the year. I'm really not. He's just not as crisp as we saw him end last year, and it's like, okay, why? And that's the revolving door question. You said it earlier. This is the thing I keep saying. I'll probably write on it at some point uh, after the quarter mark of the season. Like We know Baker's good, and this is the larger microcosm of the Browns. We know he's good. It's how good is he? How good can he be? Yep. The same for the team. We know they're good. We get four weeks of a test here to show how good can they really be. If they come out of this four-game stretch, four and one, you know, they go four, or sorry, three and one through these, or um, something something super positive like that, then yeah, you're going to be like, okay, this team has a chance to really be for real. And that's the that's the question we're all trying to answer. So it's a different frame of mind. Like, we used to not know if Baker was good. 
I think we know he's right. pretty good. Now now we know. And like, you know, when I've I've done so much of this stuff with Baker. If he has a game in the seventies, I could probably tell you why. Like I just I don't even need to rewatch <laughs> it. I can tell you what went wrong right. or right. Like I just know what his misses are. I know the things he typically doesn't see. I've just watched so many snaps now that I know those things. So what I'm looking for is things he hasn't always done, right? Like adding wrinkles mm-hmm. to what he's uh what he's traditionally been. Uh, the ways that he goes from being a pretty good quarterback to like, okay, league-wide respect, top five quarterback. How do you get there? That's the, the, the uh, I guess that's the road I'm trying to paint for him. Like, here's the throw he could make. Here's the decision he could make. Or here's a play he needs to make. That kind of stuff. Because that's where we want him to get. And again, if the status quo is unchanged, I do think you can win a Super Bowl with Baker. You have to be really, really good around him, but you can win one with him. And that discredits some of the other things that make Baker great, right? The moxie, the leadership, the respect caliber stuff like that is, that is real, not always tangible. And you can't just go out and pick a rookie in the second round and think that's going to just replicate. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't know still, John, I don't know. I don't have any clear answer on what he's worth as a next contract, but uh, at this point I, he's here, he's going to be here for the foreseeable future, whatever way that manifests itself, whether that's a, a tag situation or what? I don't want that, but there's going to be some key decisions to be made. We're, we're only three weeks into this thing. He's got what 14 more games to show what his worth is and where he can be, and and I think that stuff will clear itself up by the end of the year. But I think you're spot on. There is no better platform, no better game in a raucous environment to prove to prove what you're worth. Right? This will be, as Kevin Stefanski said, because of the environment, the glass and the, the reverberations. It'll be KC loud, right? It'll be really loud at this game, and and uh, oh, Minnesota's yeah. feeling it. And their backs are still against the wall. I know they won one last week, and that's great, but they can't go to one and three, and they know that. So they're going to throw the kitchen sink at Cleveland. So should be a fun game, John, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on, and uh, hopefully you guys understand now how the Browns beat the Vikings. Thanks, John. Thanks, Jake. Okay, that's a wrap on today's show. Thanks for John, uh, John's time. Thanks, thanks to him for joining and chatting and doing what we do here on Fridays. I think we got a good rhythm going with this thing, talking about giving you some perspective on the rest of the division and any other NFL-wide subplots that come out. So thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning into these, and thanks to John again for taking time to do these Friday shows. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. I have already recorded with Stephen Thomas the uh, the weekly mock episode. So we'll talk about his picks from his write up at the OBR. I'll have the link to that article in the description. It's been a fun week. We'll have our Sunday preview as well, as we always do. It's a one o'clock kick. So you'll get that Saturday night instead of Sunday morning, but it'll be there for you to listen to at any point. Have a great day, everybody. A great Friday. I appreciate you joining and your support and uh, check out again, the Twitter feed where we have a fun giveaway going. That's going to happen next week. If you go in and follow the, follow the directions for, how to get in if you're interested in a Browns film breakdown, nostalgic throwback Browns film breakdown. Now, obviously a different name, but I still like the Browns logo on there. Um, Browns film breakdown hat. We'll get to that. So check that out. Get involved in the giveaway. Show us your review, your rate uh, of the show, all that stuff, the review that you leave. And uh, let me know about it in the replies to that tweet. And you're in. We'll see if we can get you a hat. So otherwise, thanks for joining. Thanks for your support. As usual, have a great Friday and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.